A good haircut can be a game changer. I mean, everybody wants to look their best for those social media pics, right? So get yourself to Sport Clips at Sport Clips Haircuts. They hair do like no one else hair does. See what they did there? Not only is it the home of champion haircuts, but they've also made relaxing and unwinding the name of the game. Level up your haircut with the MVP haircut experience. It's a spa day for your follicles. Check this out. You get a seven pressure point massaging shampoo along with a perfectly steamed hot towel all while sports plays on the TV. Does it get any better than that? No. You can want it all and have it all at Sport Clips. It's a game changer. I know you have heard this before. Work smarter, not harder. Ford has heard it too. That's why the Ford F-150 truck helps you get the job done in the smartest way possible. I mean, the pro-access tailgate alone is a game changer. It improves access to the bed and cargo, which makes it easier to load in tight spaces. See? Smarter. It's also got a mobile power source in Pro Power on board, so you can power up to 7.2 kilowatts outside your F-150 truck. That is definitely working smarter. And imagine what you can do with that power at your next tailgate party. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll, and it's Friday, so you know what that means. It's time for the Duff McKagan joke of the week. <laughs> Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan here. Hope you're doing well. Hope everybody out there is doing really well. Uh, listen, what's the difference between a poorly dressed man on a tricycle and a well-dressed man on a bicycle? Attire. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs> That's a good one. You have to think about that. It's easy to see in writing, right? Attire. Uh, Duff never misses a Friday for the last six years. Uh, he didn't miss a laugh today. He actually got that one straight through. Thanks to Duff for bringing the jokes, even whilst on tour with Guns N' Roses. And Fozzie's about to hit the road again, too. October 19th in Chattanooga, Tennessee is when we start the spotlight on North America. And our new song, Spotlight, comes out that day, October 19th. We're coming to Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa, Nebraska. Before we wrap up this leg, November 6th in Memphis, go to FozzyRock.com to see all the dates, all ticket information, all VIP meet and greet information. It's the best of the business. We meet you, hang out with you, take pictures with you. You can even sing with the band. Go to FozzyRock.com for all information on VIP meet and greet packages. And Fozzy returning to the UK as well. February 16th in Newport, Wales, Spotlight on the UK. So tickets to the show and the meet and greets are all available now, FozzyRock.com. And don't forget, we are going to be at the Jamboree at Las Vegas this Sunday, October 8th, the uh, last drive-in Jamboree with Joe Bob and uh, Darcy the Mail Girl. We are going to be there playing, and I'm going to do a live talk as Jericho about Sleepaway Camp 2. So lots of stuff going on, FozzyRock.com for all ticket information for all the upcoming gigs. All right. Speaking of horror, I was just at Spencer Charnas from Ice Nine Kills Silver Scream Con, which was a great convention. Spencer was on talking about it last year. This was the second one. It was jam-packed. And while I was there, I sat down with Hatchet creator, writer, and director Adam Green. And boy, does he have some stories about how Hollywood really works. He explains how he was able to make the first Hatchet movie thanks to another little movie he made with just $400 budget. He talks about the fight he had with the MPAA over Hatchet's NC-17 rating and how losing that battle changed 
changed his movie and his life. He reveals what inspired the look of the Victor Crowley character, how he comes up with all the crazy, gruesome kills for each sequel, and what it took to get genre greats like Kane Hodder and Robert England involved in Hatchet, Tony Todd as well, who was at Silver Scream. Adam explains the practicality behind some of his grossest kills, like the double chainsaw murder and, of course, Tony Todd being ripped right out of his skin, which is amazing. Adam also shares the stereotypical Hollywood stories behind his involvement in Eli Roth's Cabin Fever 2, even though Eli really had nothing to do with it. So many great stories and so many great kill talk with Adam Green, Hatchet, Victor Crowley. All of that is discussed right here on Talk is Jericho. All right, so I'm here at Silver Scream Con. Obviously, uh, Spencer's big um, convention that we talked about here on Talk is Jericho last year. And I always look at the list of guests to see who I'd like to speak to. And I've got Adam Green here, of course, is the is the uh, creator and the mastermind behind one of my favorite modern horror uh, franchises, Hatchet. We have had some interactions on Instagram, DM something, right? Yeah, you almost were going to do our, for my podcast, The Movie Crypt, we do a yearly charity event called the Orkithon where we raise money for a right. dog rescue. And so I reached out to you last year hoping maybe you could come on for it. And you were going to be in like, Five different countries yeah, yeah. in three days or something. That's like true. That. I don't know how you do it. Like yeah. I just flew here and I was exhausted. And <laughs> I follow you and I see you're here, you're there, the band, then you're wrestling. Then you're like, how? That's what it was. I had to go to Australia. Then I had to go to like Dallas. And it was just in this time frame when I just couldn't swing it because of all the stuff I was doing. But if you do it again this year, I will definitely, uh, oh, that'd be, definitely awesome. be happy to. But it was interesting because obviously it's one of those things where we knew of each other. And obviously I'd communicated, but I'm meeting face to face here at Silver Scream. Do you like doing the, the horror conventions? I love doing them, but I used to only do them when it coincided with the release of right. my movie because there just wasn't time. Because when you're directing something, you're on it for like 18 months. Mm. And normally you have to agree to these at least six months in advance. So I just didn't get to do them that much. And then as soon as the strike started, like I knew it was definitely going to be the rest of the year. Mm. So I signed with a manager and I was like, just get me out there. Because it's the, when you get to stand across from somebody who really, really cares about things that you made. And a lot of times they have a very personal story. I, this was the last movie I watched with my dad, or mm. this was the first movie I watched with the, my now wife, whatever it might be. That's what keeps you going because the rest of it, you know, before we started recording, we were just talking about the strike and everything. It's definitely enough to break most people and be like, there's other things I could do and, right. and not suffer like this. Mm -hmm. But when you get to actually just fan after fan after fan, you're so fired up to keep doing it after that. You know, we're lucky in horror that we have things like this mm -hmm. because there's no other fan base like this. And I love it when it's somebody's first con because they're like, I wish I'd come to these before. I didn't realize everyone's so nice. Right. And like, you can walk in knowing nobody. And if with minimal effort, you'll leave with at least 10 new friends. Well, and that's the thing, because it's all like a like horror and wrestling and, you know, heavy metal. That's such a clan type mentality. And I always say, like, if you have one, even like a bit part in a, in a movie that everyone knows, you can do Comic-Cons for the rest of your life. Yeah. I mean, I think of uh, Ari Lehman, who's got the one picture of him as Jason <laughs> when he was seconds. like 10 years old or whatever. He's been, he's at every convention, you know, like, but that's kind of like, you always have that in your back pocket. Yeah. You know what I mean? And obviously you would have that with Hatchet and, and all the all the movies that you've done, but you could do, you never have to make another movie again. Of course you will be, but people have such a, a, a loyalty to that. It's not as popular as Friday the 13th, mm -hmm. but yeah, Ari is a great example of somebody who you're always like, 
wow, he jumped out of the water. Literally four <laughs> seconds. And if someone could have told him then how important that would be right. to pop culture and to fans around the world for the till the end of time, it's just awesome. Especially knowing what he looks like now. Mm -hmm. The like Raleigh Fingers mustache. <laughs> call him Raleigh Fingers. And the, the guitar that he plays and stuff with his band. I love it. The Doobie Brothers long hair. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let's talk about, about you because I'm thinking about you and of course Eli Roth. I'm thinking about Damien Leone of like these modern horror uh, creators. You did kind of the bridge between what Damien did because in the 80s we had obviously you had Jason Voorhees, you have Michael Myers, you have Freddy Krueger, like the icon killers. And then there's really nothing for a while. And then Damien comes up with Art the Clown. But in the meantime, in the middle, you had Victor Crowley. Yeah. First Hatchet was 2007? 2007, Seven. yeah. So just a quick segue. I had seen Hatchet posters and Rue Morgue magazine and all that stuff for years. And I just never watched it for whatever reason. Pandemic-wise, I'm like looking for something to watch. My daughters are now getting into horror movies. Oh, I'm like, cool. what about this Hatchet? I asked a few of my friends, you got to watch it. So we checked it out. Watched we binge watched all four of them within like a week because it was like they're so fucking good and it was, it's such a, a kind of cool breath of fresh air to the horror genre even Thank though it was you. ten years behind it was like how did you come up with the idea for this because in this mid two thousands there really was kind of a gap in classic horror movie monsters killers etc that was sort of why I did it I was eight years old at summer camp it was called uh, camp of voda and i only went to that to summer camp that one summer i thought summer camp was going to be playing sports maybe like touching boobs for the first time or whatever and they had us scrubbing floors cleaning toilets like no way. it was awful That's the worst summer camp ever terrible <laughs> i'll skip to the punchline on it uh when i was touring with the first hatchet doing festivals and i would tell this story Somebody in the audience said, did you say it was called Camp Avoda? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, do you speak Hebrew? I'm like, no. He's like, Avoda means work. I'm like, my parents literally sent me to camp f***ing work. So, <laughs> but the so counselors. You got what you paid for then. I yeah. guess. But the counselors were like, stay away from this one cabin or else Hatchet Face will get you. And I was already into this stuff. So I was like, that's awesome. Like, who is he? What's he going to do to me? And they were like, weirdo. Like, I don't know. He'll get you. And it was just where they partied and stuff. As we were going to sleep that night, the other kids in my bunk were like, you think Hatchet Face will get us? And I made up the whole thing. It was a deformed kid. The house was on fire. His dad, like, I, again, I was just into it. And it stuck with me. The other kids got so scared. And my parents got called. And they had to give so me a like talking to. you like 10 years old coming eight. up with 8 years old coming up with this. Yeah. This is what made me love horror was were the, the villains and these fantastical things. Like, I never thought it was real. I, it never disturbed me. It was cool. It was fun. As I was watching, because I originally, when I came out to L.A., I was trying to get my sitcom made, which eventually would get made, called mm -hmm. Hollison. But I was just doing stand-up and I was just doing comedy, but I loved horror. And so I wrote Hatchet, which was originally called Victor Crowley, and everybody passed on it because they were just like, this feels like an 80s movie, like slashers are dead, nobody wants this, and you got to pick a lane. Is it funny or is it scary? Because this is so graphically violent, but the characters are really funny. And I'm like, you're saying every reason why this should get made, right. but they all passed on it. And then a friend of mine had just produced the box set for Friday the 13th. She was not a horror fan, but she produced all the bonus features. There was like this box set that was only the first eight films. Do you remember that one? Yeah. It was like kind of weird. She was hired to do the special features. 
And she's like, I feel like I just interviewed everybody who, who made a movie like this. I think we could do it if we could just raise the money. And I'm like, yeah, but how do you do that? Mm. And, and you've never sold a script or anything? Or I, so I had made a movie called Coffee and Donuts. I had a job making shitty, terrible cable commercials in this area. Mm. And I would steal their equipment, borrow <laughs> at night to make my own stuff. And so I made a feature for $400 in 1998 <laughs> called Coffee and Donuts and it won a film festival and got me attention from agents because gotcha. they're like how did you do this with $400 it was edited tape to tape so once you made an edit you couldn't change it again like, old school that's how old school hook up a VCR to another VCR <laughs> kind of like that yeah. I mean I had the cable company's equipment which gave me a leg up <laughs> but it was on a shot on a beta cam with three lights but I think the heart was so there that people liked it Again, I never wanted to act, but I played myself in the movie out of necessity. So I had some awareness. I had been hired off of the script for Hatchet because people liked it. They just weren't going to make it. And I got hired to write Cabin Fever 2 for Lionsgate. I didn't know you did that. The yeah. Eli Roth connection there. Yeah. And oh, that's a great story, too, because I was so excited. I was a big fan. I'm Eli's like, also a Massachusetts guy. Yes. Boston from guy. Newton, where my mother was a Hebrew school teacher. Oh, my God. And so I'm the like, Jew, the yes. Jewish kid, yeah. I'm like, dude, when do I meet Eli? And they're like, oh, soon, soon. And I'm like, he doesn't want to do this? And they're like, no, no, he's doing other stuff. He's just going to produce it. Oh, these assholes. So had no I had idea, right? No. Right. So me. I wrote it and mine was a direct continuation, like starts the frame that the other one ended on. I was so excited about it. The, the way that they cure, if I remember correctly, the thing that can fight off the disease is Bath and Body Works, Sun and Raspberry Lotion. For some reason that stops it or whatever. Yeah. But it was really funny. It was super gross. Uh, they actually did keep my opening for the one that Ty West wound up making, which he has since disowned. I, I did that movie. I did, yeah, yeah, it's course, such a he's X and Carl yeah. and everything, right? Yeah. And so I got hired to do that. So I had some stuff happening. Just to finish with that, so then Eli didn't know that Cabin Fever Two was even getting made. They basically no. just took the rights and just did it. If the story I heard was that he had first right of refusal to do a sequel, mm -hmm. and he wanted to do something with the prom. And Lionsgate didn't want to do that. So they didn't want to lose time. So they let him write what he wanted to do, but quietly hired me. Gotcha. But they didn't tell me that. While we were shooting Hatchet, a guy named, I forget his name now, but a Fangoria writer came to the set to interview me and we're in my trailer. And at the end of the interview, he goes, so is it true that you wrote Cabin Fever 2? I said, well, I wrote a draft. I don't know what's going to happen with it. And he said, so why does Eli say you're full of shit? And I was like, oh, no. heartbroken. I'm like, what? No, I, I, I did. And he's like, because we were in my trailer, I had my contract. I had my paycheck stub. Wow. And I was like, look, man. And we were shooting nights. So I went home. I went to sleep. And when I woke up, I had messages from Lionsgate Legal, my lawyer, managers, agents. And they're like, they made me put on my website that I lied. They're like, just say you spoke out of turn. And I'm like, wow. but I didn't. And they were like, just do it. If you want to have a relationship with the studio. And I'm like, why are they doing that? What did I do? I was, I had to take like a Xanax before I went to work the next night. Cause I was so worked up. I felt so bad. Cause you're such a fan too. This yes. is out of respect. Yeah. I love Eli. And I'm like, how did this happen? What did I do wrong? I don't understand. I just didn't understand the game yet. And so I went to set that night, I got through it somehow, but then Eli, I can't remember if he called me or if he emailed me, 
but he was so nice and he was like listen this had nothing to do with you i know exactly what happened here take that shit down off gotcha. your website so and thankfully back then no one knew who i was anyway so i don't even think anyone saw it right. but that was like my introduction to, to hollywood showbiz, kid. yeah and then lionsgate a few months later when hatchet was ready to premiere at tribeca they were like if you want to direct Cabin Fever 2, you'll show us Hatchet now. And I'm like, you know I can't do that because I don't own it. The investor owns it, and they want everyone to see it at the same time. It's just an ugly, <laughs> ugly wow. business. Yeah. Right out of the gate, huh? Yeah. Right out of the lion's gate. Awful. Well, let's go back. So that was your lesson learned, and you and Eli are obviously friends and cool. Yeah, man. He, I love him. I think he's great. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. So you're talking about how you're getting into this hatchet and you've written Cabin Fever 2. So now they're suddenly paying attention to you? Yeah, a little bit. And when we made Hatchet, you know, again, I didn't know what I was doing. So I had a website where the cast, the crew, we were doing nightly journals and we were showing everything. All like now I know better. You don't do that. Showing your dailies basically. Not dailies, but photos of like the oh, kills, oh. The, like all of it. So there was like a kind of like a small group of people that kept growing who were interested in this movie. And we had raised the money with a mock trailer. Back then the site was called Creature Corner, I think, and then it became Shock Till You Drop. And But they started reporting on it. And a lot of people thought the movie had already been shot. There were people claiming they'd already seen it and it was so great or it, was, it sucks, whatever they were going to say. But we did it. We made the movie. And I'll spare you all of those stories. But How'd you get the investor? Was that from the studio? Yeah, it wasn't a studio. It was a, an independent investor where, again, this is so weird. I had a friend. I went to her birthday party and met one of her friends. And I was like, you got to hook me up with that girl. And she's like, uh, I'll, I'll try, but I don't see her all the time. What are you working on right now? And I'm like, I just wrote this horror movie. Everybody passed on it. And she's like, well, my husband is actually looking for horror scripts because his business partner knows a guy. It's one of those things. <laughs> and I was like, fine. But because of that mock trailer and the fact that there was already people talking about it, I had said, just tell him to Google Hatchet Victor Crowley and see what people are already saying. And that made it suddenly very attractive. Oh, you know, we did our homework where in our proposal, it showed worst case scenario if the movie's no good and it just goes straight to video as long as we keep the budget to 1.5 back then, you will at least not lose your shirt. But if it works and if there's sequels and if there's this and that and like showing all the examples and he went for it, all because I was trying to get a girl's number. Like, <laughs> so you never so, know, right? Yeah. It's now, was, it, a, was it crazy for you to have a budget of 1.2 million or 1.5 million? Five, yeah. And you know, you made a movie for 400 bucks. Yeah, I thought I... <laughs> this is like Titanic for you. Yeah, I was like, all I ever said was, if somebody gave me 1.5, I'd be able to do Jurassic Park. Yeah. And there's a shot in the making of it where you see me stressing, and I'm like, now I realize this isn't enough. Yeah, yeah. Like, I can't do what I want to do. 
I don't think I've ever Frozen maybe was a movie that turned out the way I really thought it was going to. Everything else is, it always has felt so compromised because of like the fourth hatchet. We made that in eleven days. Really? And how does that math work? It gets more popular every year. At the time we made the fourth one, there weren't action figures yet. But now there's mm -hmm. three action figures. There's Halloween masks, a comic book series, walking around here and people have a tattooed on them. And they're still trying to cry poor when it comes to <laughs> yeah. the sequels. I'm like, why do you want more sequels? That's then? right. That's right. So we made it. And thankfully, it just sort of struck a chord. But when we did the sequel five years later, because my whole thing is I'm like, I don't want to do a sequel to Hatchet right away. I don't want to be the Hatchet guy forever. So I did a movie called Spiral. I produced a movie called Grace. I did Frozen. And then I felt safe going back to Hatchet. Quick segue. I'm an avid skier and snowboarder in heaven since I was eight years old. So Frozen <laughs> is about people that are stuck, three people stuck on a ski lift, yes. which I've envisioned many times. So that was like, I almost didn't want to watch it because I'm like, I don't want to see this because every time I want to lift, it's like, but it's, it's really well done too, especially if you understand the whole skiing culture of how scary it is to be on a fucking lift yeah. when the thing goes down sometimes or when it just stops when somebody falls off. Why don't they come on a loudspeaker and tell you what's happening? Nothing. Nothing. You're sitting there. Yeah. And then, it, oh, so that's a great example of just a terrifying movie that you made out of a real life situation that anybody that's ever been skiing thinks about it. So congratulations on that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. That movie pisses off people a lot. And I think it's because it gets under their skin. So there's a defense mechanism when it's realistic survival horror where you start thinking, well, what would I do? Yeah. And when you realize how screwed you would be, you get like defensive and it's so it's always that could never happen. This yeah, is yeah. stupid. It never happened. It has happened. Like Google it. Look it up. Yeah. <laughs> Then people say, if they were so cold, why didn't they cover their faces? Who wants to see a movie where every character is like, oh, it's so cold over here? Like, at some point, it's not a documentary, man. That's yeah, like, right. It's a movie. Yeah. It's so but, but even just like every time, and, and once again, I don't want to dwell on it too much, but I'm always thinking, like, when, especially when it stops or when you have to put the bar up before you get to the end, like, what if it stopped and I fell off? Like, would I survive this fall? That's fluffy snow. I could probably be okay. That's just rock. Yeah. And, and so that, like, some of the people have to jump out and things happen, which I can, I've seen this happen to me a thousand times. So congratulations <laughs> for that one. But well, you, didn't, you didn't want to be the hatchet guy forever. Right? No. So making these other projects. No, no, before we get to the sequel, the first hatchet, obviously you've created this great character of Victor Crowley. He looks great. Crazy kills, man. I just went through and to refresh my memory of like some of the best kills. Like just like we'll talk about that in a bit. You went outside of the box, much like Damien Leone does. Like, I'm going to make the fucking grossest movie. Was that kind of your mindset? Or what did you think about? Because this became kind of a trademark of the hatchet series yeah i just was like what are some kills i want to see yeah. what what haven't i seen or what have i seen that i i want to see it go further or just a little bit better and i wanted to keep it all practical effects but at the time when i wrote that i was really disenchanted with the genre because it was a lot of torture porn remakes and then like pg-13 so many remakes at the time yeah the festival poster for hatchet the slogan was it's not a remake, it's not a sequel, and it's not based on a Japanese one. And <laughs> that was the direct pass from a major studio to the it's script. It's not what? It's not a remake, it's not a sequel, and it's not based on a Japanese one. That was their reasoning for passing. A Japanese one, a Japanese horror. Yes. Like The Ring or The Grudge, et cetera, et cetera. But jokingly, I just lifted it right out of the pass. Because I'm like, these are all the reasons why the horror community wants something mm. like this. So when it did festivals, that's what it said on the poster. And that kind of also became like kind of like beating a drum where people just started wanting to know more. I think it's always hard to look at any of your stuff and even and see the good in it. Like it takes sure. 
years until you can see what the audience sees. I'm the same way. You just all you applause. think about is like what you couldn't put in there. Yeah, yeah. They don't. I don't know what you wanted to put in. I just saw what came out. And it was awesome. Yeah, but, but it takes the, a while to accept yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, I'm sure when you were starting out, you're like, I could have done this better. I could do this better. But people are like, we love what you do, and you almost want to stop them. Like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Yeah. It could be better. <laughs> I just had a match literally a couple of weeks ago in Wembley Stadium, and everyone tells me how much they loved it, and I was like, I don't like it because it didn't go the way I wanted it to, and no one can see it. It's a five star match, but to me, it's like. Uh, it could have been so much better if only we did it. Like you got to, as the artist, you got to say, "Hey, dude, take your head out of your ass. It's okay that people like it, so just enjoy it." But that's know? why you excel at what you do. Yeah, yeah. You don't get complacent and be like, right. "Good enough, good enough." Yeah, you yeah. can't ever do that. I don't know how you do what you do. This is the fact that you survive a night doing what you do. <laughs> I get hurt sleeping, man. Like I can't. <laughs> I could never do what you do. Okay, so when we did the sequel, though. The first one had been cut to shit when it got into theaters. I oh. was so happy that my first movie was going to be in theaters, my first real movie. And then the MPAA came for me hard. And I went back and forth. I don't remember the exact amount of times. I want to, let's say 11. They were just killing it. And so stupidly, I went to trial because you can appeal it. You're not really? supposed to do that. And anyone who's hearing me, I mean, the MPAA doesn't have the same power it used to. But don't do it. Just keep cutting the movie. That's the way it goes. So but, what you're saying by, by trying to appeal it, they just stick it even I had a, like a worse. trial, sort of. Wow. So what happens is, and for anyone who wants to know more about this, there's a documentary called This Film Has Not Yet Been Rated by Kirby Dick. The people in that documentary are the exact people I faced off with. I've never heard this before. It was heartbreaking. And so I decided I wanted to contest it and fight it because I'm like, you're not being fair. As I just seen the remake to The Hills Have Eyes. And I was like, that movie tonally is so mean. I love it, but it's mean and nasty and there's animal violence. There's rape. My movie, no one even smokes a cigarette. Like it's so tame. It's like Monty Python. There's no kill and hatchet that could possibly be realistic. Right, right, right. It's just, it's not a mean movie. So I thought I had a leg to stand on and you're allowed to now cite other films. So I went in with like saw hostile, the hills have eyes, all movies that were Sony or Lionsgate, by the way, who control the MPAA. That's another story. Oh, gotcha. I faced off with Joan Graves, who was the head of the MPAA. Now, they're supposed to bring in 12 <laughs> industry professionals, meaning theater owners and operators, executives. And all, they're not going to rate the movie. They're just going to judge, were you treated fairly with this rating? Or does it need a second look? <laughs> they walked in 12 senior citizens. One dude was in a walker. And I'm like, oh, shit. And everyone <laughs> in Monty Python. It's like, it seems like a skit. <laughs> D. Snyder called me, but he's always been like my hero and my mentor. I love we have the craziest story how we became so close. But he called me when I was going in because, you know, he famously faced yeah. off at the PMRC. And he said to me, he's like, listen, you're going to lose. Don't let them see you cry. And I'm like, I'm not going to lose. I'm not going to lose. He's like, all right. When you lose, <laughs> he's like, this isn't fair. You're not walking into a fair fight. And I was like, I'm going to show D. I'm going to show everybody. And anyway, they played the movie. Not one laugh through the whole thing. I Ooh. even vocally yelled out, come on, at one point. Because there's a joke. <laughs> so they got to show the movie in front of these people. The yeah. guy in the walker. And everything. oh, no. They groaned when she said the name. She said, the movie you're going to watch is called Hatchet. They went, ugh. <laughs> and so they hated it. Come on. I got That's it. funny. <laughs> I'd seen it in five different countries at that point. <laughs> yeah. I knew it was funny. And so 
I was so dumb and immature and like, but I believed in it, you know, mm -hmm. and it wasn't fair. That movie's harmless. It's harmless. Yeah. I wasn't asking for a PG or a PG 13 R that's yeah. fair. NC 17. Are you serious? That's the worst you can get. The worst you can get movie, right? because yeah. then theatrically it wouldn't be able to play theatrically. Yeah. And I feel like they they do that on indie movies. They come down on you so hard to like keep you out of their territory mm -hmm. in a way. Just my personal thought. Then I got 15 minutes to make my case. And then Joan Graves got, I think, 15 minutes to say why they gave it the rating they did. I get a rebuttal. She gets a rebuttal. And then they put me in another room with her and they decide. I thought I made such a good case about how we need movies like this again. When I grew up, the horror genre, it wasn't mean. It was I never left a Nightmare on Elm Street movie disturbed mm. or bothered. It was fun. If you could see this with a theater full of people that are into this, they're all laughing. They smile when they're leaving. This feels refreshing in the current climate. I quote, I showed scenes. I didn't show them, but I discussed scenes from Saw and mainly The Hills Have Eyes. Mm -hmm. I'm like, there's a scene where they bite the head off the family parakeet and drink its blood after sucking on the mother's breast till she lactates into the monster's mouth. Meanwhile, the dad is crucified and on fire outside, and then they run away with the baby that they're gonna eat after they shoot the mom they just basically raped in the head. And no one in that theater is laughing, and you gave that an R. I have a bunch of comedians getting killed in Monty Python-esque ways, their blood squirting 40 feet in the air. It's ridiculous. No one even smokes a cigarette. There's no sex. There's not even a lot of swearing in this. And my movie's pornographic. And I'm like, I want this. I know I want this. Mm -hmm. And Joan Gray stands up and goes, the films that Mr. Green just cited, The Hills Have Eyes, Saw, and Hostile, has anyone in here seen those films? And of course the answer is no. And then she turns and goes, those are stricken from the record. Done. My whole case out the, and it's, oh and everyone gosh. warned me. They're like, you yeah. can't win. They will yeah. never yeah, cave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the movie came out in theaters and it was so bittersweet because I went to the arc light, I bought a ticket mm -hmm. and it was I, everything I thought I wanted. And then I watched a movie play that wasn't my movie. Yeah. And I heard people talking afterwards saying, man, after all that hype, hearing about this movie yeah. at festivals, it was fucking lame, man. And I was heartbroken. So when we did the sequel, I'm like, I just want to go straight to video. I'm not dealing with that again. And Dark Sky, who was going to be making it, they're like, yeah, you just do your thing. And that's what I did. So quick question for you. So I grew up in Canada. They would do this to us all the time. A huge horror movie fan. And I always loved like you know, the Fulci and the Diodatos and, and, and the Argentos because those movies, for whatever reason, whatever video company they came were never cut. They were gross or disgusting, whatever. People still to this day talk about Day of the Dead. Mm. I fucking hated it. You know why? There's no because they, they cut everything out. Same thing with uh, Happy Birthday to me. Yeah. Oh, you can watch it. I won't watch the uncut version because I got forced to be heard about how great this fucking movie was, and then there's nothing in it. Yeah. And but no one ever told us that it was cut. We didn't know. Right now, if you watch Hatchet on Amazon Prime or any of the sequels. I think they just changed it, but it didn't say what version it was, and it was the censored version. And that's terrible. They do it with Day of the Dead to this day, and Happy Birthday to Me, and My Bloody Valentine. Yeah. So you have that too, where you're like, no, 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 don't watch that one. But which one am I supposed to watch, man? You know what I mean? I started to talk about it on my podcast, and I noticed literally a week ago, now Amazon has Hatchet streaming free with Prime. I think it says rated R version. So it's the theatrical cut, but then you can 
pay for the unrated one. It still doesn't say unrated. It's such a stupid game. But with the sequel, I went balls out. I was really happy with it. And then all of a sudden, Dark Sky's like, so guess what? How would you feel if we put this in theaters? And I was like, don't do this to me, you guys. They were like, no, no, listen, AMC is starting a new thing called AMC Independent, and they will play the movie uncut. Whoever it was that was in charge was like, I think he was seen in a Hatchet Army shirt. I, I could be getting this wrong. It's been a, a while. There was a reason they knew he was a fan. And so AMC agreed they were going to play the movie uncut. And that was the marketing campaign, the trailers, the posters. It was all like not since the original Dawn of the Dead as a horror movie played in major American multiplexes without a rating. It was like going to change the game because even if you hated Hatchet, just buy a matinee ticket to support it. And now everyone will start going around the MPAA. And but, you know, stupid me, I'm, like, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to do the guinea pig. That was the marketing. That's what we did in interviews. And then all of a sudden, the week before release, the publicist for Dark Sky is like, okay, no more talking about the movie being unrated. If anyone brings it up in an interview, don't talk about it. I will jump in myself on the call and say, we're not discussing that. I'm like, what's happening? They're like, somebody at the MPA is not happy about this. And now AMC has got cold feet and uh, we're talking about it too much. I'm like, they've been part of the whole, they're like, just listen to me, stop. So we stopped and every publicity call, there'd be a, a publicist from AMC and a publicist from Dark Sky on the phone. And the second the journalist would be like, well, this is exciting that the movie's being released on rate. They'd both jump in and be like, we're not discussing that. So three days before release, Entertainment Weekly, who banks their interviews, who had interviewed me a month prior, runs an article. It's me with duct tape over my mouth. Oh, and the no. title is Adam Green says the MPAA is evil. And I'm like, oh shit. So the movie opens and disappears overnight, gone. It was on like 68 screens or something. Now I was at the midnight screening in LA, it was packed. Kane was at the one I think in New York, packed. Danielle was at one, Ari Mihailov was at one, Tony Todd was at one, packed. If it had just been those screenings, it already did well for, for the type of release it was. Right. And it was gone. By Sunday I'm on Twitter, I think it was Twitter at that point or Facebook and people are like, it's not playing here anymore. Where is it? And I have no idea what's happening. And AMC was saying nothing. The MPAA said nothing. And then finally, somebody who worked for AMC said, oh, the movie wasn't performing, so we pulled it. That's not a thing. There was a movie that opened that same weekend called Chain Letter that made $32 per screen, and it stayed for two weeks. That's not a thing. And I was, again, devastated. But my lawyers were like, listen, you're going to make other movies Everyone knows what happened here. Let let other people fight about this. What happened? Was it a witch hunt? Because I think the MPAA saw that we were going around them oh. and it would have changed the game. Gotcha. And they're like, you're not doing this. You're not releasing stuff without a rating and major. No, you're not, you can't do it. Isn't that what just happened with Terrifier 2? Yes. Right. So now, 12 years later, Terrifier 2 comes out, does exactly what we did, and they won. Mm. And nothing makes me happier because yeah, like you were you were too far ahead of the game at that point yeah and when Damien did the podcast we we talked about mm -hmm. this a little bit and I'm just so proud look first of all that dude I, I hope people realize he didn't just write it and direct it he did the effects yeah, all of them. like he did all yeah. of it they have done such a good job with those movies and the fact that a two and a half hour slasher <laughs> sequel to a movie that no one saw <laughs> 
wound up again it, you never you can't control these things yeah. but it was after covid people wanted to go back to the theaters right. again it wasn't too soon after covid it was it had been long enough people were ready it was the only thing like it and it just caught a buzz and it kept going. The View and USA Today. Yes. Well, someone puked in the theater and that became Everyone's the... puked in my movies in the theater. Like, dude, <laughs> Big deal. People fainted at Grace and Sundance. People fainted in Frozen. Everybody pukes and throws up. You learn that the hard way too. At Sundance, everyone faints because of the altitude. Oh, shit. And they've been drinking. So you're always able to... People fainted. And that one scares me because it, no movie's going to live up to it. Not that we're a horror fan. It's yeah. somebody who wound up in there who doesn't really like this stuff. They've been drinking all day and then they collapse. Yeah. And then everyone <laughs> so they fainted. Um, but I'm so excited to see what happened with Terrifier. And I want them to keep going so Victor's going to have somebody to fight. Because, like, he doesn't have anybody to beat up yet. That clown, that clown, he's, Victor Crowley's looking at him. He's waiting. Man. We need the multiverse. <laughs> we need the multiverse. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. Let me ask you this. What made you finally decide to do two? You said it was five years later. And you yeah. wanted to not be just the hatchet guy. But obviously, even though hatchet one came out highly edited it must have still had enough steam where people wanted to hatch it to yeah the most people saw it on video and and you could get the unrated director's cut at that point i think when frozen was being made i had done enough different stuff between spiral and frozen where i felt comfortable going back to it because i always wanted to do i had written it to be three films okay i was ready to do it people were asking for it so i did it then that whole thing happened with it getting pulled from screens. And so they wanted a third one, though. At the time, I was doing uh, Digging Up the Marrow, my TV series, Holliston, this thing, Killer Pizza, which is a whole other story, this big studio thing that wound up never happening. And so with Hatchet 3, I'm like, I'll write it, I'll produce it, I'll have Final Cut, I'll oversee the whole thing, but I do not want to have... It was editing that I didn't want to be there for. Because the shoot itself, it's like, I think it was the shoot for Hatchet three was 18 days tops so fast so fast the, the fourth one was 11 that's days. ridiculous yeah. 400 grand <laughs> and so anybody that i was thinking of to have directed they were f- director friends of mine and i knew it wouldn't end well because me having final cut i knew it would become right. an issue then kane was like well i'll direct it i'm like how are you going to do that when you're in the makeup chair the whole day he's like will you do it i'm like that doesn't work, Kane. <laughs> and, so, and then Danielle had just directed a, a great little movie called, I think it's called Among Friends. And she's like, well, I'll do it. I'm like, again, you're in like so much of it. And so we ended up hiring BJ McDonald, who had been the camera operator on everything I had done. Just this dude's eye. Like he's, he's the best camera operator I've ever seen. Everyone agreed. Danielle was cool with that. Kane was cool with it. Cause that was the other thing. I didn't want to throw somebody to the wolves with them mm. and i was there every night writing hollis and there was only one f- scene in that movie i wasn't standing there for which was like a scene in a police car when they're driving but then in in post i wound up probably because of my own fault just being way more involved than i wanted to be and so that one didn't it didn't really end well with bj and i which is sad because i love bj and i think he did a great job but that was finally the end but it, it wasn't a good experience mm. and no one felt satisfied who had been involved with it because it just the shoot was too hard we were getting eaten alive by mosquitoes someone was in er in urgent care every night of that movie (laughs) kane had to go he stopped breathing over mosquito bug bites 128 bites on just his arms like it was warfare out there that's why you don't shoot in a real swamp (laughs) so this is like my whole life story then in right after after that movie came out 
I just went through the worst shit. Dave Brocky from Guar, yeah. who was a dear friend okay. and my co-star in Halston, he suddenly died. And then my wife leaves me eight days later. And then Holliston, my sitcom, which was the whole reason I went to Hollywood, it was always about that. That's the one thing I cared about the most. And we had just done the second season. It was great. We were going to do a third season. The budget was going to double. Dave died. And then Fearnet got dissolved in a merger between Time Warner Cable and Comcast. Okay. It literally, in 13 days, my whole life evaporated. I, I think if it, if it had been one thing, I would have handled it better. But I went into such a depression, like didn't come out of my office for like a year. I lost like tons of weight. I couldn't eat. I was so depressed. And then Rock and Shock, which used to be Silver Scream Con before there was Silver Scream Con, they asked me if I would come. I said no, because I, I couldn't like go out in public. I'd have panic attacks. It, I was really bad. But they're like, well, George Romero is the guest of honor and we want you to do host his panel. Mm. How do you say no to that? Of course. So I went, we did with the panel, and he gets this huge standing ovation. But even during the panel, he's mentioning my films. He's speaking to me like I'm a filmmaker. Mm. And I'd known him for a little bit. We're not like best friends or anything, but it meant so much to get the acknowledgement. As the panel ends, he put his arm around me, and he goes, do you see that? And I was like, what? Yeah, dude, everyone loves you. He's like, no, look at their shirts. Hatchet, Hatchet, Holliston. These kids love you. When are you going to do another Crowley picture? And I was like, I'm not. Like, that's over. It, it, George, I can't. And he's like, it's not over till they say it's over. And they love it. You make oh, wow. people happy. Honestly, it was like a 10-second pep talk. But to me, it was like a lifetime. And the next day, a fan comes up to my table. He's like, I don't know what was being said here but I got a picture of it. It's from the back of the room on a telephoto lens and it's George with his arm around me. You can see a tear going down my face. Oh my gosh. He's like, so I wanted you to have this. And that night when I got back from Rock and Shock, it's like exterior hunting on the swamp night. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing this. But I'm like, if we do You're it. still writing the script. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, if we do a fourth one, it has to be secret. I don't want anyone to know what's happening. And the 10th anniversary is coming up with the first one. We'll hold a big screening for the 10th anniversary. We'll even have the original cast there to do the carpet. And then we're just suddenly going to show a new movie. Oh, that's killer. And everyone's like, it'll never work. And it worked. And we did it. I still can't believe it worked. And then I toured with it, which to me, that's the new model. Like if you have the audience and you yeah. can just go city to Kevin city. Kevin Smith did. Yeah. 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 And, and it works. I, unfortunately, not everybody can do that, sadly. But, so that's um, what you did for Crowley's. You basically made a show of it. You would come to a limited amount of theaters, but one theater like in Tampa and one in New York, whatever it would be. Yeah. And then everyone would flock to that. Yeah. yeah. But to unveil it, and then the tour started the next night. So even the tour had to be booked as Hatchet Anniversary Screening. <laughs> and then it changed to the How Crowley. are you able It reminds me of like Bowie's Black Star, where like David Bowie just releases a new album like the day before he dies, but no one knew that a Bowie record was being made. No one knew there was a Hatchet sequel being made. It seems like a pretty big deal. The Bowie record's a, a bigger deal. <laughs> but, you know, what I would do is with all the department heads, when I explained why we were doing it in secret, I would show them fan mail from soldiers, certain, like, especially through Kane, a lot of, like, burn victims, things like that. And I'm like, this is not Star Wars. It's not Harry Potter. It's not even Saw. It is what it is. And to these people, it means the world. Mm -hmm. So if you spill this this is who you're taking that moment away from. So please just don't. And no one did. That's amazing because most people would be like, yeah, no problem, Vegas, what's going on? No yeah. one did. No one did. But we've, I've also been lucky. I've worked with friends my whole life. Mm. 
And so up, right up, because we had a time, the Entertainment Weekly was going to release something at 8.30. And I knew my intro was going to end up being long because George had just died. Like, it, it was a moment. There was somebody watching the clock because we didn't want someone in the audience to see it on Twitter and be like, holy shit, we're about to see So I had to get to it. It's on the Blu-ray, and I think it's online places. But when I said, so tonight we're not here to see you, because I talked all about the depression, that I almost killed myself, the whole thing. And I'm like, so tonight we're not here to see Hatchet. We're here to see a new Hatchet movie. And the, it takes like a second as they realize what's happening, what? and yeah. then the whole audience just stands up. You know, again, it's Hatchet. It's not, I know what it is, but to those people it means yeah, the world. sure. And that made it worth it, the surprise, the joy in people's faces going city to city and letting them see this thing. But why did they only give us 400 grand in 11 days, a plane crash, all these things, like, come on. And now everyone's like, do a fifth one, do a sixth one. And I have ideas for them, but we have to be treated better if we're gonna do it. Like, I, I don't need to do it But how at this did you point. regress to 400 grand budget when you had 1.5 million, and I'm sure probably more for the other ones? The first one was 1.5, second was 800. Okay. Third was 650, oh, wow. but with a tax incentive, 800. And then the fourth was 400. And the difference was when the first one came out, there was home video. When the second one came out, streaming was now a thing. Piracy was rampant. Mm -hmm. So they kept axing the budget. It's a lot of it is them taking advantage. They know it has an audience. Honestly, I, I hate saying this, I don't think they care if the movie's necessarily that good. They know it's a title. Yeah. And I feel awful saying that, but I do care. And that's sure. why I haven't done another one because yeah. it's not about me getting paid or anything. It's just like, we have to be able to at least do this fairly. Yeah. I'm, I'm sick of asking for favors for everything. Cause even though the budget may be 400, it was worth way more than that. The talent that I get to help, even our sound mixer, Matt Waters, he had just won his second Emmy for Game of Thrones. <laughs> and then we're mixing Victor Crowley in seven hours in his living room. Come yeah, on. 10 bucks an hour plus a you know, subway right. <laughs> so, sandwich. But I like telling these stories cause I want other people this to know. This is the real world of filmmaking that a lot it of people is. don't know. And I'm not saying woe is me or anything, but like just know that you can do it no matter how hard or unpleasant or impossible it seems. If And people have had it way harder than me. But this is my story. If I'm still here and I'm still going, I think I'm still going. I don't know anymore, man. Like it's been three years because of COVID and now the strike, but I think I'm still going. Um, you can do it, but you have to just keep picking yourself back mm. up, which is something athletes know better than anybody. Mm. Speaking of kind of the, the respect and love of franchises and horror movies, your movies are peppered with uh, actors from, I mean, you mentioned Kane. Kane Hodder, obviously, is probably the most famous of the Jasons, and he plays Victor Crowley. Yeah. How did you get in touch with him and Tony Todd and Daniel Harris and all these kind of genre icons in a lot of ways to be a part of your movie? Uh, the first person to actually come aboard was John Carl Beekler, who was going to do the effects. He directed Friday 7, Troll 1, not Troll 2, <laughs> <laughs> Cellar Dweller. Uh, but he had done effects on Halloween movies, Nightmare movies, Friday movies, and he had made the best Jason because Jason in Seven is the coolest looking one. And Sarah Albert, when she did that Friday the 13th stuff, she had met him and she's like, why don't we just ask him what the effects would cost? And his shop foreman, who was looking to kind of step up, he sort of took the reins. Ah, gotcha. And so we made a mock trailer. Beekler had said he had done it, but it was really his shop foreman who had done it. But then he said, well, what about Kane Hodder for the killer? Because Kane was in his own dark place because he had just lost Jason in Freddy versus Jason. And still to this day, no one's ever really said why. Oh, they replaced him. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right when I approached him, 
not only did he think his career was over, but then like his mother had just died. He had just turned 50 and he thought, well, I guess that was it. And then I show up with the script and now here's a villain that he gets to play from the ground up mm -hmm. and not have to say, well, there was technically six other guys who did this before me, but I'm the one they like the best. Yeah. And so we met and he believed in me. That was a crazy meeting because I'm like, can I bring all my Jason shit and have him sign it? And the producers are like, no, no, don't be a fan. I think by them being involved, I think Tony Todd took it a little bit more seriously. Mm -hmm. I played a dead security guard at his feet in this awful movie Beekler was doing just so I could meet him. <laughs> and Networking. I'm also another character in the movie, but I just needed to get to Tony. And then with Robert England, once we had all of them, we, we just made the offer. And he said it was contingent on a meeting. We had a phone call and he's been so good to me, man. Like he's always singing my praises and I, I, I never feel worthy, you know, like, mm. and also doing these conventions, I've made so many friends. So I write the parts specifically for, for people. Them, yeah. And I mean, you've met all of them. Like they're all so funny, yeah. but they never get the chance to show it. So I write right. these parts where they can really, and I think for Kane, the fact that he got to also play the father and have like emotional scenes crying people realize he is an actor he's not just a stunt guy mm -hmm. i've just been so lucky and with holliston that they all came to play and play terrible versions of themselves <laughs> daniel harris is using me for vicodin in the show and tony todd smoking crystal meth in the house and sleeping with my girlfriend and like but they have a sense of humor about themselves sure. and that show could have gone forever because there's so many people that we had lined up who are ready to come make fun of themselves yeah and I don't know, maybe someday. It's been 10 years now, so it's probably not going to happen. We don't look as good. So so when you were putting together kind of the look of Victor Crowley, is this your suggestions or was it the, the FX house you were working with? I had a very specific thing in mind that was a lot based on the Elephant Man on John Merrick. That, and yeah. Beekler did it like a police sketch. He didn't let me see it. I just kept describing oh, and gotcha. he's sketching and oh, then cool. he turned it around and it was the young child version. And I was like, that's it. And so the very first Victor Crowley we did was the child version. And that makeup actually went on my now ex-wife because he was like, rather than put it on a child, do you know any small women, specifically women who work in makeup, because they're going to be under alginate. It's very uncomfortable. And I'm like, I have a friend who's a makeup artist and she's small. And that's how we wound up getting together, which is gross. Cause like she was made up to look like a deformed boy. And somehow I fell in love with that. <laughs> Maybe that's why it didn't work out in the end. Can you put so, the makeup back on please? <laughs> that's all, that was always people's first question. Was there ever one of the movies where she was in the makeup? Did you guys ever? And she'd be like, no. And I'd be like, I tried. <laughs> but, but in my imagination. Yeah, that wasn't happening. <laughs> Talk about some of the ideas for the kills. Because we mentioned, you know, we can go through some of the crazy ones. But you say fun. Hatchet was just, they wore a lot of fun, you know. It's almost the precursor to some of the Terrifier kills. So I went with my teenage daughters who are horror aficionados and like some of the, some of the hatchet kills too. And it's like, what do you think of that? It's like, it's not even scary because there's no way that can happen. Yeah. Like Terrifier where the one girl just gets killed in their bedroom over. She'd be dead already. Yeah. There's a lot of that in hatchet too, too, as in the whole franchise. So where did you come up with these ideas? Are they all out of your brain? Because there's some sick stuff in there. Yeah, it's all out of my brain. When I do the conventions, I know there's people that are disappointed when they see me. <laughs> They're expecting Rob Zombie looking dudes, right. you know, and then it's me with usually with my Yorkie and my Yankee candles and my, and they're like, you, you're the guy? I'm like, right, 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 right. yeah, it's me. I know. I'm so not cool. <laughs> but yeah, they. I just think of them and 
as we did more sequels, it was also, I had to be realistic with what we could pull off practically. One of the hardest ones in two, there's a double chainsaw kill where it's a six foot long redwood chainsaw that he puts underneath two men and then saws them in half vertically. And to do that practically, there was like, I don't know, seven people involved because first of all, the chainsaw is 125 pounds. Kane couldn't carry it. So it's on cables going through the top of the stage with two guys walking with Kane to hold it up. There's no actual spinning blade on it. That's put in afterwards. And then the bodies were on like PVC pipes for the chainsaw to go up through them. But first the actors had to be flown on cables so that they would lift up into the air oh, wow. and then to have the testicles come down over the blade and everything. Cause you've got to see that. I knew the balls would come back in the third one and be found in the tree. Oh, nice. So yeah. call back. <laughs> yeah. Ball back. Um, but that one was really hard, but it's a challenge because I'll think of the most extravagant thing, but it also has to be something we can do practically. Cause if the hatchet kill started becoming CG, the audience would be done they with it. They want practical. Tell me about the one where, um, I don't know the character's name, but you did one hand in one part of the jaw and the other, and it basically pulls her head completely. That's like the signature that's the kill from the first one. Well, I remember that one for sure, yeah. When I was promoting it, that's what I would show at horror conventions, mm-hmm. and that usually sold people that, that wanted to see it. What I loved about that kill was the idea of seeing the skin ripping and that I thought I could do it in one take practically yeah. by just hiding the cut behind his back for right. one you frame. Right behind the back, right? Yeah. yeah. So there's maybe there's three frames that are completely black. So that's where I hid the cut. But that was an expensive head to make, to have the, the skin rip like that and have the tongue thrashing around and the blood mm-hmm. coming out. And the first time we shot that, the makeup effects team had put the wrong blood hose in it so instead of the blood spraying it was like a garden hose it just went (laughs) and it was silent on set because whenever it's good i'm you hear me screaming behind the camera (laughs) and it's just silence and the sun was coming up there was no going again man was the makeup effects team devastated Mm -hmm. i'm like it's all right we'll come back tomorrow night they're like with what head I'm like, oh, you yeah. don't have another one? They're like, How the f- no. <laughs> we took us three weeks to make this one. And Pentagrass stayed awake all day repairing it, making it work. Because the good thing about it is that you don't really need to see the detail of the face because his Kane's hand is over the woman's face. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, don't worry about the fact that the face doesn't look realistic. You're never going to see that part. Mm-hmm. And so we pulled it off the next night. And that head is still like in my office, like in behind glass and everything. And that's the thing that everybody wants to see when they come in. There's like Victor Crowley, there's Meshuggah, there's the monsters and the marrow, but that's the one that everybody wants to look at. I'm just so glad it worked. But it was the effects guys who made it happen. I thought of it, but they did it. And they're the real stars of the movie. As, as we start to wind down, there's a couple more classics. I, I love the, the doggy style sex scene where <laughs> our boom operator gets, quit over that. Well, tell us. So the, 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 he gets decapitated, but he's still pounding the chick from behind until she realizes that he has no head. Yeah. Basically. Tell uh, us about that and why did the boom operator quit? She was just very religious. Um, she had sort of joined the family when we made Frozen. She was from Utah. She didn't make a big deal out of it or anything. I didn't even hear about it till like 20 minutes later, but they're like, so I forget her name, but they're like, she just quit. And I'm like, why? And it was because the banter in between them beforehand, when she's saying, do you love me more than Jesus? And he goes, that's not appropriate. And she's like, say it. And he's like, I love you more than Jesus. I love you more than Jesus. Um, And so, yeah, she took offense to that, which I look, I understand. And I felt bad. I never meant to offend her or anybody, you know, but 
once where it started spreading that something happened on the movie that made it somebody quit then of course people ran with that i didn't stop it <laughs> but i think the second one has the best kills in the series because i was so out for blood after what happened the first time sure you wanted to yeah and now they weren't going to put it in theaters so i could do whatever i wanted and then the fourth one what we call the ultimate fisting where he rips Felissa rose's arm off and then shoves it up between her legs and out her mouth with the cell phone with the cell phone she's the publicist yeah so the joke about that cell phone i just mentioned this in the panel in the first movie one of the best jokes i love to just give shout outs to my childhood friends uh, none of them are in the industry they don't get this stuff <laughs> at all mercedes McNabb finally finds her cell phone through the dawson's creek ringtone and instead of calling for help she scrolls to see what calls she missed and she goes ew scott barnes called me scott barnes is my best friend from childhood <laughs> And people got such a laugh out of that, including Scott, who didn't know it was coming when he, until he saw it in the theater. If you look closely at the screen, the cell phone that comes up through her mouth, it's not, now it not only says Scott Barnes calling, but I have his picture on it. <laughs> so, That's such an Eli Roth thing to do. What is it with you Massachusetts guys? It's just fun to with your friends. But on the, if I ever do it again, I'm going to put his actual phone number on there too. Just, <laughs> I just fell over, yeah. <laughs> He's like, why do you do this to me? He goes, why couldn't it have been, oh, Scott Barnes called me? I'm like, because that's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> Last couple of questions for you. Uh, what's your favorite kill that you've had in any of the four? I mean, I'm always going to be beholden to that face rip because of hearing audiences like vocally like cheer mm -hmm. at that first time. And it still to this day, every screening of it I've ever been to, the audience just goes nuts for that. But oh, man, ripping Tony Todd out of his own skin. Dude, that's, that's mine. You basically pull the guy's skeleton out of his shell of a body. And he's still alive. <laughs> he winks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know where we messed up with that though? The effects team already had a life cast of somebody. They're like, we already know a guy who's smaller, who we could put the muscle tissue on and everything to do this. The guy had blue eyes. And so when you look closely. Oh, wow. And you think anybody would notice that? Now they will because they heard me say it. <laughs> and they're going to claim that they knew it all along. Yeah, you didn't know shit. You didn't know shit. But also, I learned a, a, a valuable lesson on that because Tony walked by while they were making up that actor. Now, we're always just about how do you save money? And they're like, mm -hmm. we already have a guy yeah. that we can hang upside down. He's a stunt guy. We already have his stuff, so we don't need to pay to make it. I was like, great, do it. And Tony walks by. He looks at the guy who's going to be doubling him, and he says to me, you couldn't, you couldn't get a black guy? And I was like, holy shit, you're right. Holy shit, you're right. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I am so sorry. And he's like, no, you don't need to apologize. He's like, I'm just curious. Like, you couldn't. And I'm like, they just already had this guy's stuff. He's like, well, no, next time, think about that. And I've never not thought about that since. Wow, yeah. But that was a job for somebody else, right, you know? Right. Yeah. I love that he said something. Mm -hmm. And that we're close enough friends that he could, mm -hmm. you know? With no malice, just like, hey. Yeah, no malice right, whatsoever. Yeah. Just, and, but that's how we get better. And that's how we learn. It doesn't have to be angry about it or learn, teach. Yeah. It was one of those things too. It'd be easy to say that was the department call. I, I just yeah, heard of course you pass the blame, but no, yeah. it's it's my fault. I'm the yeah. director. It all falls on me. So I also love the um, Victor Crowley, who of course is Kane Hodder, kills the cop Derek Mirror. So it's Jason killing Jason. Yeah, <laughs> there was also a spine ripo. Wasn't that a spine ripo too? He pulled his skull out of his head. It's like Mortal Kombat all of a sudden and then held it up like Predator style. And, and Victor Crowley is half black, by the way, which a lot of people didn't realize right. till the second one. Right. It's funny, no one made a big deal of it, or not, not a big deal out of it, but even mentioned that till recently. 
or the fact that Mary Beth, who's the lead, is gay, because mm-hmm. I never make it a thing. Right. She just is. But what did bother me is when Victor Crowley came out, the fourth one, there were people who applauded me for casting a Asian American male as a leading character. I'm like, you know, he's been in all four of them. Yeah. This wasn't me trying to be woke or shit. Like, (laughs) and he's like one of my closest friends, man. Like, so don't make it about that. I had more of a problem with the fact you put Q from Practical Jokers in a dramatic role. (laughs) He was good. I know. He's a friend of mine. (laughs) I, I, I texted him. I was, I was like, "This is the worst performance in the history of cinema. Uh, You're awful." Because <laughs> when I told him about it, he's like, "I don't know." I'm like, "Listen, I'm literally just going to write you, yeah. Long Island accent, the whole thing. You comfortable in front of cameras? Yeah. Just be you." And he was great. But everyone thought it wouldn't be as soon as they heard he was in it. They're like, "Why is he in it?" But she also had a real like crazy death of the girl, pregnant lady, stuck in a under the chair where the water is rising. And it's like, that's like sad. That's like a Meryl Streep movie or something. That's the most like, for lack of a better term, shocking moment in a yes, movie. Absolutely. No one expected it. It bothered audiences a lot on the tour. And I didn't realize until maybe the seventh or eighth screening I sat through that I was working out some shit because that was like my divorce movie. All I ever wanted was children. That was like my main thing in life. Oh, I just wow. wanted kids. I didn't realize till seeing that moment, like that was me punishing myself because I'm like, why did she have to find out she was pregnant right before that happened? And I was like, cause I can't have kids. Wow. And now life has changed and, and maybe that's going to be possible, <laughs> but still I didn't realize it until then, but it's such a, that's the most brutal kill. In it is thing. dude. I'll tell you what, that's hard to watch, you know, cause what would you do? Like put, try and put a straw or like try and like rip out the seat and like, you know, like I said, it, it had a real moment of like, wow, like drama to it and f- sadness to it. Yeah. I wanted to do, I can't just keep making the same movie. Yep. And in the fourth one, by trapping them in a crash plane, it added the, what do you do? If you stay on the plane, she's going to, pregnant woman's going to drown. Yep. They're all going to possibly drown. But if you go outside, he's going to get you. Yeah. But I couldn't just have them running through a swamp again for the whole movie. With horror fans, they always say they want something different. <laughs> Until you give it to them. And then they go, no, I want the same thing again. <laughs> but then with sequels, whatever the latest sequel is, people will say sucks. Yeah. Until the next one comes out, then the one before it was amazing. Yep. Then they love it. Now Hatchet 3, fucking awesome. Everyone loves it. Until, <laughs> until Crowley, 4. They gotta wait until 5 comes out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's why I have to do a fifth one. So 4 will get the respect it deserves. Yes. Yeah, so the last question is, you mentioned that you have thoughts and ideas. You think you'll end up making a fifth at some point if it's right? Yeah, it just, it'll have to be right because none, none of the original people are going to come do it again if we're not treated at least just fairly. Yeah. That's it. And I think that will happen. There's already, there's so many other companies that call sniffing around, yeah. but they're always like, what else does Dark Sky have that they're not doing this? Like, well, I don't get it. And it's not their fault. They've been wonderful. They really have. But they just, the industry's different. The budgets are so small. I can't pull off what I did with the fourth one again on, on that budget level. I just can't. So we'll see what happens. But I always thought by now I would be ready to do a fifth one because I would have done other stuff. But COVID killed, killed everything, everything yeah. I was doing. And then right into the strike. And then the strike. Yeah. So we'll see. But Kane's always asking. Danielle's always asking. Obviously, I'm at a convention right now. That's been the question the everyone's asking. asking. I'm asking. You're asking. I, and I'm, I'd love to do it. It just has to be with the right people and again i don't need like a big budget a huge budget but i need a budget you need to make the movie that you want to make yeah i don't want to slip i don't want to end up making something that turns out so badly that that's how it ends yeah. i'd rather just not have any more mm-hmm. i'm hopeful though because with terrifier 2 doing what it did 
maybe it's making people wake up and realize, wait, there is an audience for this. Yeah. I mean, Smile did huge numbers. Talk to me just did really well. Yeah, all those A twenty four movies. Yeah, and horror's never dead; it never dies. So we'll see what happens. But I also have a lot of other stuff to make too. Yeah. So that's great, man. Well, it's great talking to you. And yeah, you too. And, and this year, when you have your animal drive, I'll be sure to repay the favor. Thank you so much. <laughs> this was so awesome. I'm like, thank you so much for talking to me about this. It was a blast, man. Awesome Good stuff, dude. Thank you. Thanks.